Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth. I'm David Brody. Uh, Hope all is well. Uh, Another podcast, another week, but this is a very different week, a more somber week. And quite frankly, it looks like we're going to have a few somber weeks to come, probably months to come. And we hope not even longer than that. But of course, we're talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19. My thoughts, my prayers out to everyone that either has this virus or, quite frankly, that may not know if they have the virus because they haven't been tested and they're sitting in bed with 101 fever and can't get a test. And so clearly... There are some serious uh, issues as it relates to that regarding testing in the United States. We're going to get to that. On the podcast today, Mercedes Schlapp, uh, senior advisor with the Trump campaign. She used to work with Donald Trump in the White House in the communications office. We will ask her some uh, many questions, actually, about the coronavirus uh, and also get into uh, Biden and socialism and the campaign for two- 2020. But um Look, you know, a lot of times we joke around on this podcast and, uh, you know, we like to have a little fun. It's it's hard to joke around, quite frankly, when the coronavirus is out there. Um, so uh, at, at the same time, we want to be kind of true to ourselves here at the podcast. Of course, I'm speaking ourselves. It's just it's just me. I mean, technically in front of the mic. But, uh, you know, look, this is um, this is a tough situation. And I, I want to give you a few examples of how it has affected uh, everyday life. Really, uh, first of all, uh, I have to tell you, I came in here uh, to record the podcast. I'm recording this on a Monday, uh, right in the morning, and there was a woman dry cough, and she was coughing incessantly on the metro. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, why in the world is this woman on the metro? Now, look, I understand. Maybe she's got to get to a job. Maybe it's a she doesn't have paid sick leave. So you know, I I don't know what her situation is. All I know is that there's a woman that has a dry cough, coughing incessantly uh, for minutes upon minutes. And, you know, look, I, I went to the other cart now I, uh, or the other uh, car, metro car. Uh, now, look, I, I practice social distancing. I was about 10 to 12, 14 feet or so away from her, uh, but I got further away after that. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, good news, I found toilet paper over the weekend. I mean, what in the world is going on with toilet paper? So let me get this straight. You've got the coronavirus, so I don't know. Let me rush out and buy, wait for it, toilet paper. No, so toilet paper is not going to save you from the coronavirus, but I was reading a lot of articles because from time to time I do read, uh, and it turns out that, uh, you know, it goes to people's instinctual fear. They, they feel like it's kind of be Y2K and here we go and, you know, Armageddon and the cops are coming and, the you know, uh, the Gestapo's waiting for you at the door. And so they hunker down. And when you hunker down, you buy the, the necessities. And so you, you go with toilet paper. But anyhow, we found uh, some toilet paper at Big Lots, by the way. There's your tip of the day. Go to Big Lots to find toilet paper. They're uh, limiting it to 
packages per customer. So my wife and I were there. That's right. We did the math. My wife bought two. I bought two. So we got four. Thank you very much. Um, went to the grocery store and, you know, yeah, no toilet paper. But I'll, guess what? No bananas. No grapes. No vegetables at my grocery store. That's right. Not even any vegetables. They said they're waiting for a shipment to come in. So everything backlogged on the supply chain. So it's pretty much somewhat of a, of a nightmare at this point. Um, and look, you know, I've got some older kids. Uh, they're in their mid to late 20s. Uh, but I do have a teenager and she's uh, set to graduate high school. She's a senior. Will there be graduation for her and many other seniors across this country? Uh, it is an unknown question at that point. And it's really sad for those folks who, you know, they, you know, this is their, their moment, their year, their time to walk on stage and get that diploma. It's a big moment in your life, and it may all be wiped out because of, because of the coronavirus. Once again, I want to be clear here. I'm not suggesting, you know, the, you know, horrible for these seniors that can't graduate compared to people that are dying of the coronavirus. I'm just trying to talk about the impact that this is having all across society. My wife and I were going to go to Tampa, Florida uh, in early May. We decided to cancel that flight. Um, so, you know, there, there's all different things that are going on. Um, I, I do want to say there's a story that I want to mention. I want to mention his name, but uh, there's a guy that I know. Uh, he's out in the California area. Has a Had, I should say, but at the time he had 101 fever, chills, um, he had uh, quite a few symptoms, wanted to get a test for the coronavirus. This was about a week ago or so. His doctor said, absolutely, we need to get you a test. So about a day later or so, the doctor tells him, hey, look, I want to get you a test, but uh, there are no tests available. Uh, we can't get you a test. So he's, his situation is like many out there, many folks out there who have symptoms, want to get a test, and can't get a test. Now, the, the United States government's trying to change that. you got state, state and health officials uh, in all of these states across the country trying to change that now, and it seems like things are starting to get better. Uh, but clearly, we have a testing problem in this country, and we definitely had the testing problem uh, in severe in a severe way uh, early on. And that kind of gets me into Donald Trump. Look, the truth of the matter is, and I got dinged for this on Twitter, but Trump is not giving out correct information. There was a time, uh, actually quite a few times, but let me go to March 6th, Friday, March 6th, Trump came in front of the cameras uh, and in front, he was with scientists and all that. And he said, anybody who wants a test can get a test. Well, that's just not true. It wasn't true then, it's not true now. Um, can you get a test a little bit, you know, there, are there ways to get tests now a little bit more frequently? Sure. But if you want a test right now in America, there's no guarantee you're going to get a test right now in America. So Trump was giving out false information. And look, it's one thing to overestimate crowd size. Uh, it's one thing to have hyperbole in certain situations. You know, this is the best economy ever. This, I'm the best president. Uh, he's the worst person. He's the best person. But when it comes to the, to the coronavirus, we hyperbole, has, there's no room for hyperbole. You got to get the information correct. You got to give it uh, straight. Uh, so, uh, and look, when it comes to testing, I mean, basically, the United States has performed roughly roughly at this taping, and we're taping this on, on March 16th, but about 20,000 uh, coronavirus tests in the United States. We've got 351 million people in this country. I'm not suggesting they're all infected, obviously, but we have 20,000 tests that we've given out. 
To give you an idea and to contrast that, South Korea, which, by the way, has been a success story in controlling this coronavirus, has actually performed a quarter of a million, 250,000. So it's 20,000 compared to 250,000. And remember, they're a much smaller country. They've got 51 million people uh, compared to us. So clearly testing a problem in this country. You know, one other thing Donald Trump said is he said we have it under control. As a matter of fact, he said that uh, from the White House press room the other day. Here's what he said, quote, it's a very contagious virus. It's incredible. Of course, he's going to say the word incredible. But it's something we have tremendous control of. Um, can we get a buzzer sound? No, we don't have tremendous control of this at all. Now, if he's talking about how the fact that his team is on it, they're working on it, they've got control of what they need to do, fine. But you know what? Say that. Don't just say we have tremendous control of the virus. So, look, uh, we are just the news. We're about the facts. When the president uh, puts out some information that is incorrect, we're going to call that out. When he puts out information that is correct, the media says is incorrect, and we'll call out the media on that. Uh, but in this case, uh, I've got to tell you that the president is incorrect, that the virus is under control. And then if you want a test, you can get a test. That's not true. Now, he has dialed some of that back since on the testing because he knows that wasn't true. Uh, but he already put that out in the atmosphere, and that is obviously not a good thing. All right, more uh, analysis uh, on the coronavirus here at the end of the podcast. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor to the Trump campaign in 2020. We're back in a moment on the Pod's Honest Truth. And welcome back, everybody, to The Pod's Honest Truth. I'm David Brody. Remember, you can subscribe or download The Pod's Honest Truth. We like to abbreviate it by T-P-H-T. The Pod's Honest Truth. Yeah, that's correct. T-P-H-T. That's, that's pretty good. Actually, it's really clunky, so forget that. The Pod's Honest Truth, David Brody. Go to Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Please download and subscribe. Also, John Solomon uh, as well. John Solomon Reports podcast is there. Cheryl Atkinson's podcast is there. All on justthenews.com. That's also where you can find us, uh, justthenews.com. All right, time now for my conversation with Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor to the Trump campaign, where we talk about the coronavirus. We talk about Joe Biden and is he mentally fit for office. And we talk about faith and family and how she, a mother of five children, goes about her daily life. Here's Mercedes Schlapp. Mercedes, always great to talk to you. I appreciate you joining me here on uh, The Pod's Honest Truth. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, let me ask you, uh, coronavirus, obviously, more than just in the news, it is in essence kind of shutting down this country in, in a way. Uh, how has that been for the Trump campaign, for you guys over there? Are certain precautions you're taking? What, what's kind of going on in there internally? Well, we have made the decision, and, and, you know, again, we take this day by day. We're obviously getting guidance from the administration as well, um, and, and there's made the, we made the decision, for example, to telework today and Monday, and obviously just continue to monitor the situation. We did cancel a number of our campaign events. So like all Americans, we're adjusting to what we're seeing uh, in terms of the development of what's happening with the coronavirus pandemic. You know, our focus, of course, is, as we all know, is, is where the president's focus is, which he, the president's focus on ensuring that we contain the coronavirus pandemic, that we protect Americans, and that the, his top priority is that of the safety and the health of all Americans, which is why the president has taken such bold actions 
uh, early on uh, to, to ensure that we uh, are able to control the situation here in the United States. Mercedes, what about some of these rallies? Uh, obviously, it's a huge calling card for the president. It's a big deal. It makes a difference, clearly. Uh, are these rallies, therefore, is it kind of a wait-and-see situation? They're, they're being called off for now, but that could change? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a day-by-day scenario. And the president's focus is he's, he's obviously working so closely with our medical experts, with the healthcare professionals, with our top health advisors, at the White House, uh, you know, this is this is his primary focus at this point. And, you know, part of it, and I think always the biggest challenge for any president is how do you how are you how do you make sure that we communicate a message of calmness and keep the American public informed of what steps to take to make sure that they feel protected um, with the situation. And that's why I think you're seeing communities take the actions that they're taking, whether it's, you know, uh, distance learning in terms of their schools um, having people uh, telework as opposed to coming into the office. So there are adjustments that are being made. And I think uh, when it comes to the rallies, and we know that this is a um, I think the key for the president is, you know, we're, we're going to keep monitoring the situation, making decisions as we go week by week uh, with the priority of knowing that the health of all those rally goers um, is obviously the top priority for the president. You know, one of the things that we're working on at the campaign is virtual campaigning, which is that we do these national, uh, you know, call to action days where we have fundraising calls or voter call or contact calls with voters, um, where we ensure that we keep our campaign activities up. We're just doing it through a virtual, uh, in a virtual way, on a digital way that allows us to stay connected with our supporters, ensure that they're getting uh, the information that they need. Um, to feel connected to the campaign. Right. Hey, uh, Mercedes, you've worked, obviously, uh, close with this president when you were at the White House. Uh, I'm just wondering, I've known him for over 10 years. He's a will-it-into-being type of guy. I mean, he's very optimistic. You know, we can do this. Let's make sure we do this. Uh, We're going to do this. Um, But with the coronavirus, this is, I would think, kind of be pretty tough for him because it's not something he can necessarily can obviously control. And at the same time, he's an optimist. So he wants to paint a, a positive picture. But there are some challenges uh, as well. I know the other day he said uh, if anybody wants a test uh, on coronavirus, they can get a test. And it turned out that wasn't necessarily true because uh, there are a lot of folks out there that would like a test and that we're, we're coming up short on tests. So, so take me through some of that in terms of how he sees all of this. Look, I think the president, one of the things that I've always respected of the, of the president is how he deals with situations at a time of crisis. And it is very much where he is focused, um, engaged 150 uh, percent, listening very carefully to what the healthcare experts have to say. So I think we had, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned yesterday was that, you know, while China wasn't going to be transparent on its data, um, our healthcare experts and medical experts took the data from Japan, South Korea, and Italy, they were able to map out a model and produce a model to show the president to say, look, we need to take certain steps in order to ensure that we don't uh, create a a horrific crisis here in the United States. And so the president listened to his medical, the medical experts, why he pushed forward with the travel ban to Europe for 30 days. And while, yes, the president is optimistic in the sense that we will overcome this, 
He's also talked about the message of unity. And this is a time where we have to put politics aside and not cause panic and, uh, and also stop the partisanship. And I think you're going to see that with a bipartisan bill in the House. You know, we saw that when they passed this emergency funding uh, just recently in Congress. And I, and I think that that's what the president wants to focus on. He wants to solve the problem. And, he, and he's doing it in a way where he wants to ensure that the, that the Americans feel calm and know that their, their government officials are doing everything they can. You know, I think we saw, today, for example, uh, the uh, drug, the FDA uh, supported uh, some emergency, approved some emergency grants that needed to happen as well. You know, we, the, the administration's moving quickly to get this testing situation under control. Now, let's be real. If you're healthy, you shouldn't take a test. Okay, we have to remember that this is about making sure that those people who have severe symptoms that have the likelihood of getting the coronavirus should be the first in line to take a test. You don't have a symptom, but you're just scared. I mean, don't take away the test from the other individual. I mean, we experienced that now after going through CPAC where we had one case of coronavirus. I mean, Matt and I did not go take tests because we have no symptoms. And so we need to make sure that we're also not panicking to the point where you're saying, oh, everyone needs to take a test. That's not the case. It should be those people who really do need the test. Right. No, and and I think some of the concern is it's the folks that have 101 fever that might have a couple of other issues going on. They would like a test just to feel safe that they don't have it, but they they can't get it. And I think that's something that clearly— Well, I think, you know, I really do think that the the federal government is working so closely with the states to resolve these issues. Yeah. And there's numbers, hotlines to call— Go to the cdc.gov, get the information. Like, you know, the more you, you get the information, the more you can realize that there is the opportunity to get the test if you have these symptoms and if the doctor recommends you to get a test. I mean, it is about listening to your medical profession professionals. I mean, that's going to be a critical piece of it. Yeah. Let me ask you about so a lot of these pundits are, are saying, oh, no. Uh, well, maybe they're not saying, oh, no, because they're liberal, but they're saying, look, uh, the president uh, could be in trouble here from an economic standpoint as it relates to uh, the general election. Uh, what's, what's the view of the campaign as it relates to how the coronavirus could impact this general election going forward? And the economy clearly is a, a, a big issue here. Look, fortunately, this president has put this economy on very strong footing. I mean, our fundamentals are strong. When you look at the fact that job creation, wages are have increased, unemployment is at historic lows, uh, we are at a point right now that our economy can withstand uh, these uh, these hiccups or these or these or a little bit of the slowdown that's happening because of the of the coronavirus. So the other piece of this is that the banks and the financial institutions are fully capitalized and they're also strong. So this economic prosperity has allowed us this, a little bit more of this flexibility as we're going through this threat that, 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 that is coming our way. Let me so ask. We don't view this in any way as a financial crisis. It's a temporary moment where we are honing in on getting through this crisis together as a country and knowing that our economy will withstand um, this this critical time. 
Let me ask you about uh, potentially, obviously, Joe Biden, who seems like he's going to be the nominee, most likely. Um, you know, with Bernie, it was easy. He's a socialist. Matter of fact, we, we know he's a socialist because he calls himself one. But, but, but what about Joe Biden? What, what do you do there specifically? Not to outline your campaign strategy here for all of America, but what, what is the sense about Biden and how you can take a, a candidate like that on? Because he can appeal uh, to some blue-collar workers in certain key swing states. Well, he can't appeal to these blue-collar workers when he's screaming at one, you know, <laughs> one guy, one union guy, and about Second Amendment and what did he call it, the AR-14 or something? Yeah. I mean, come on. He, he, we know that there. The more the man is on stage, the more the man is exposed to the public. The more they realize that this, that he cannot handle this campaign. There are issues there, whether even he's mentally fit or not to be. Uh, president of the United States. And, you know, quite frankly, it's one gas after the other with, uh, with, with uh, Joe Biden. I mean, it is, he doesn't know what state he's in. He doesn't know what office he's running for. Um, you know, you've seen the outburst with a number of Americans, of just everyday Americans on the campaign trail. I just feel that at the end of the day, Joe Biden will not connect with the American people. They will look at Joe Biden and look, view him as a weak weak candidate, who when you need someone strong, the person who can continue to lead this country, continue to build on our economic prosperity and offer opportunity and hope for all Americans is going to be President Trump. Mercedes, all hyperbole aside, you mentioned mentioned mental issues. There have been some articles written about that with Biden. Do, do, do you are, are, are you taking that seriously as in like, look, this needs to be looked at or someone needs to look at that? Look, I think there is concern about Joe Biden and whether he can fill the role of being president. I mean, you know, I think you look at the fact with him when it comes to his constant gaffe, where, again, he doesn't remember where he's at, what state he's at, what he's running for. I mean, I think that there's just real concerns about them. They have to put him in front of a teleprompter for him to, like, function perfectly. And uh, and I think that's a real problem for the Democrats. He's a very weak front runner now. Now the front runner. I think the other issue will be: Will they bring the Bernie people on board? I mean, will those Bernie voters support Joe Biden? They don't like Joe Biden. There's the Never Joe, you know, Never Biden movement happening, which is, you know, they're saying, I, you know, the Bernie people have always felt that they've been left out. And so I think that it happened in 2016, and I think you could see it happen again in 2020. And so, you know, I think that the president, look, what I keep seeing with the president is you go to these rallies, and about 18 to 22 percent of the individuals who are attending our rallies, many of them who didn't even vote, you know, some of them who didn't even vote in 2016, are coming to the rallies, and some of them are registered Democrats. I mean, you're talking between 18 to about 22 percent of rally goers. Are Democrats. This president, everyone talks about his base. His base is very is continues to grow, and that includes these disgruntled Democrats who have looked at their party and said they have gone too far on every issue. As you look at the abortion issue, where they support late-term abortion, or even when the baby's born, let's just kill the baby off. It is an extreme party of radical ideas, where you know, and those of us that you know believe in our God and practice our faith, you know that they're going to go after our religious liberties, something that President Trump has protected. And I just think that the common sense American will say, I just don't want my country to go even far left and we continue to lose our culture. 
and our great patriotism in America. And that's what Joe Biden is. As much as Bernie's the open, you know, the open socialist, I mean, Joe Biden is a closet socialist. He's going to run as far left as he has, which is free health care for illegal aliens. And it will be, you know, the no ban, you know, far extreme uh, uh, position on abortion, which we've already seen. And, and, a, and an attack on our religious freedoms. That's where it's going to go. And you know what else the president has accomplished, which, of course, they would overturn this? It would be the judges. This president, you know, o- over 190 judges, two Supreme Court justices. We have a shot at getting another Supreme Court justice who, who would be strict constitutionalist. And to, to give that to Biden will, again, I think, radically change our courts and 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 basically take away all the progress that we've made in the areas that we care about, like pro-life and these social and cultural issues that matter. You mentioned God and the Democratic Party. Uh, I know, remember Robert Bork writing a, a, a book a long time ago, Slouching Toward Gomorrah, just this idea about Judeo-Christian culture being under attack. Uh, what do you make of this idea of God and the Democratic Party and, and where they've, they are now at compared to where they've been as it relates to faith and, and talking to voters of faith? Well, you know, I think they made it a very—and it was, I think, Bernie who said this, that there's no room for pro-life Democrats. Mm-hmm. So they have staked out their position. And I and I remember it was one of the pro-life Democrats who wrote an op-ed about it, saying, I don't even know my party anymore. There was a point that the Democrat Party was big tent. But what ha- has happened to the Democrat Party is, is that they, they really—when it comes to abortion, they just don't want to even put any sort of restrictions on it. And they do believe in taxpayer abortions, and and I think that that is incredibly problematic. And I do believe that they want to dictate how churches, you know, perform their activities. I mean, I really do. I really think that that becomes a problem. And so, you know, we have this issue, for example, with kids that go to these liberal universities and they are bullied because they have conservative values or religious values, and they can't speak up at school because they're too scared. Well, we want to protect those kids. You know, and it's why you've seen the president take the actions that he's taken um, in terms of, of ensuring that we protect freedom of speech on college campuses um, and that, you know, he, he's obviously built out uh, these, the, the office over at Health and Human Services with um, the conscious, you, you know, ensuring that you're able to deal with that as well in terms of the religious liberties component. So a lot's been done. Under President Trump, you know, he made the changes on Title X regulations to ensure that we wouldn't be giving taxpayer dollars to the abortion industry. And I think that the Democrats are, I mean, they'll go back to the Obama era, uh, which was that of, of, again, and they've gone even farther now, of supporting late-term abortions. Mercedes, just two last questions. Your faith, you know, I remember it must have been about a year and a half, two years ago, and we were talking in your office, and you talked about your Catholic faith and how important that is to you. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, just in terms of how it shapes your worldview, how it shapes, uh, you know, how you see the world, and and I guess to agree your policy and politics as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, my our faith is very it's the center of our family. Mm-hmm. Um, we really feel that I actually I don't even know how people can function without having faith in their lives. Yeah. Because you face so many trials and tribulations, and when you're able to, you know, open up the Bible um, and pray with your family and find the strength in God, uh, it just makes things so much better, and it gives you so much strength and courage and wisdom. It's one of the reasons why when I was asked to work at the White House. We made the decision, and we prayed about it, 
And it was really, you know, it was Matt who told me, look, let's go help the president, help him succeed. And it was really an honor to be one of those advisors and many of us in there who are faith, you know, who, who practice our faith to be able to give him guidance, the best guidance that we have. And, you know, I never, I started every morning with praying in my office and asking God for all the wisdom and strength and uh, courage to to speak the right words and to advise the president and the staff in the best way I knew how, and to and really to to live out my vocation, which is that of not only being a mother but of, of being a public servant, um, and and basically trying to steer this country in the right direction. And I think what's been amazing with President Trump, you know, he's. He doesn't come from. He's not what you know. He's not a church-going guy. <laughs> no, he he's not. But what he he's so what he is so amazing is that he listens to us, and that when it was the battle on fetal tissue research, for example, I was in the room, and you know, and he really stood stood up again for like let's ban fetal tissue research. And every time, especially you know on this pro-life issue and on religious liberty, his gut instinct was always right. And that's why I have such great respect for this president is why I feel so strongly that he is the one that is literally standing strong for our freedoms and really ensuring that America doesn't turn towards a socialist ideology where the government basically, at the end of the day, overtakes the family in terms of making decisions for us. And so I feel very strongly that it's why we have to keep fighting for this president because this president fights for us and he fights against the false narratives and the bad stories and all these, these media types that are trying to kill him day in and day out. And all these politicians, who Democrat politicians who have tried to destroy this man. You know, this is a moment in time where we're seeing this with coronavirus. You know, we've, we've, he is wants our, he wants to solve the problem. He is working to do what he can 24 seven to make sure that a place and that people don't die. You know, sadly, we can only control so much, right? It's a, it's a lot of it is in God's hands. Yeah. And part of this is we have to um, stand united as a country right now more than ever. I think that's and You know, like I told my kids today, I go, we live in the greatest country in the world. Yes, you're going to have to do distance learning, schooling for the next month. But, you know, we're not in a war-torn country. You're not worried about a bomb, like, falling over, you know, falling over your house or in your, you know, like, think about it. So we have to pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe, but always remember that right now America is so strong, and even if we do have to sacrifice a little bit and our lives are going to be disrupted, that we still should be so appreciative for all the greatness and all the blessings that God has given us for living in America. You know, Mercedes, last question. You you mentioned uh, having children and being a mother, and I could have introduced you as a juggler because, in essence, a, a world-class juggler. I mean, uh, from the conservative world where you've been a success to the White House to the campaign. Uh, and, oh, by the way, you happen to be a uh, 24-7 working mom. So what has that been like for you uh, to kind of having to juggle it all? Matt's obviously very busy, too. Uh, what, what, how does uh, that work for you? I know you, you join millions and millions of others, but what about you specifically? Well, I mean, I feel like, like all of us, we're called to, to, to share our talents, to do what we can. They're good of this country, and I always felt at a very young age, and it came from my, you know, my father's story, which was, you know, my father was uh, lived in Cuba, was thrown in six years as a political, stood up against socialism and stood up against communism in Cuba. Right. and I felt very young kid. 
Mercedes, are you there? You have broken nope. up. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, yeah, you were just there in the middle of your father's story. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're yeah, fine. So, uh, so my father was put thrown in jail for six years as a political prisoner because he stood up against communism and socialism. And I made a choice. You know, he, he taught me at a very young age. He's like, first, love America. It's the greatest country on earth. But always remember that democracy is fragile, and these freedoms can be taken away in an instant. We've seen this time and time again in different countries. And so I always felt this strong calling um, that I had to make sure I fought for freedom and that I did everything I can to ensure that America continues to be, you know, the city of hope. And it was, it was something that I felt a strong calling from God. So I feel that it is because of God's graces and, and God giving me the strength and courage to do my job every day where I am able to juggle you know, being married to Matt Schlapp, which is a full-time job, and then <laughs> raising five beautiful girls. And really what I've learned with my girls is that because we are able to talk to them every day about the work that we do and serving this president, is that they're becoming warriors, and they're becoming freedom warriors and freedom fighters, and understanding that this freedom that they have is, is so precious. And it is why we have to support government that... and and obviously, in our case, our president, who is who is making sure that our liberties are protected. And, you know, they understand the importance of faith and freedom, and, they, and it comes together. And it's something that we, you know, I know I work on every day, and I can't do it if I, if I didn't have, I'm telling you, with God in the center, you can accomplish anything. And I feel that it's, it's where I get my strength every day, and it's where I get my motivation to know that the work I'm doing today is for you know, the next generation for my kids and grandchildren so that they, they can live in a free America like I've lived in a free America. Well, that's where I say amen, sister. Uh, Mercedes, amen. I, I really appreciate your time. Just uh, uh, not, not only your time, but the authenticity that you brought to the conversation. Thank you for just opening up and just being real like you always are. I appreciate that. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mercedes Schlapp. We're going to have a lot more interviews with uh, the Trump campaign. We'll have uh, interviews with the, I'm assuming it'll be the Biden campaign once that's all uh, tidied up and finished, uh, a big general election ahead. Uh, but of course, the coronavirus uh, overshadowing all of this. And look, just some final thoughts on the coronavirus. You know, this is President Trump's biggest challenge. And everybody would say, well, of course, it's his biggest challenge. But I have a couple of unique perspectives on it. Uh, uh, let, let's start with this. Uh, I've known Donald Trump for 10 years, and this is not Donald Trump's thing, if you will. In other words, he's a guy that likes to will things into existence. He always thinks positive about everything. And I remember being on the golf course in California with him during the campaign, and he talked to me about Norman Vincent Peale. I don't know if you ever heard of Norman Vincent Peale. He's a pretty famous guy, but he was actually Donald Trump's pastor uh, growing up when Donald Trump was a child and into his teen years, and of course his parents uh, heard him uh, as well. They were really his parents' pastor, if you will. And Norman Vincent Peale uh, really hit home with this power of positive thinking. As a matter of fact, he wrote a book about it, The Power of Positive Thinking. 
and it really struck a chord with Donald Trump when I was talking to him on that golf course in California. And he told me then that Norman Vincent Peale is by far the best speaker that he has ever heard. And I asked him why exactly. And it wasn't just oratory and that he could captivate an audience. It was all of that. But it was what he was saying. He was extremely positive. He had an uplift, uplifting vision about uh, kind of a can-do spirit, if you will. And that resonated with Trump. And if you notice with Donald Trump, he always does that, always in everything. You know, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Uh, if North Korea bombs us, fine. If they don't, great. If we get the deal, fine. If we don't, that's okay, too. Uh, look, th this is the way he operates. Here's the problem. With the coronavirus, you can't do that. You know, if it kills 17 million people, fine. If it doesn't, no, sorry, that won't work. You know, whatever, it's okay. No, sorry. That, that, that's not how you do it with the coronavirus. So this does not fit the Donald Trump template of how he likes to operate. Oh, by the way, um, while he's very compassionate in private, I've seen that up, up close, uh, and I know that for a fact, he doesn't like to show too much compassion in public. Why? Because he's the law and order guy. Uh, he, that's his brand. Uh, you know, don't let him see him. Don't let you see. Uh, or what, What's that expression about? Uh, don't let him see you sweat, I think is what they used to say in one of the commercials. The point is, is that Trump doesn't want to be mushy, gushy, cushy in public. Now, does he have some of that in private? He does. He is human, after all. I know liberals, but it's true. He is human. But he won't show it in public. Here's the problem. Sometimes we need a commander-in-chief that's going to be somewhat of a consoler-in-chief, someone that's going to get a little mushy-gushy at times. He will not do that in public, and so that also hurts him. Uh, and one final thought. Let's be honest about the economy, right? I mean, it could really tank. And if it tanks, it could ruin uh, his re-election chances because if we're honest with ourselves, there are a lot of folks out there that can't stand Trump, but you know what? They kind of like their 401ks, and so they look at Trump and they go, ugh. They look at their 401k and go, ah. And so if I can just be honest, again, it is the pod's honest truth. They see their 401k, and that's where they check the box for Trump. In other words, they'll deal with all of his shenanigans. They'll deal with the crazy that they see uh, they see out there. I'm not talking about his base. The base loves him. I'm talking about people in the middle, uh, even Democrats, uh, some folks that couldn't give a rip about politics. They don't really like him, but they like what he's doing from an economic standpoint. If this coronavirus continues uh, for months and months, once again, uh, that's going to that's gonna be a real problem economically. And, and I think it's important uh, here. I'm about to say it's important what I just said. Of course it is. It's me. I said it, so I'm going to think it's important. But here's the thing. I said months and months. If this is just months, then we're into May, June, possible rebound, most likely a rebound in the stock market. And all of a sudden, boom, we're in September and October, and we have a potentially a roaring economy again. But if this is months and months, and now we're into July, August, September, into the early fall, this is really a problem for Donald Trump, specifically for his reelection. So we'll see how it plays out. Hey, don't forget, justthenews.com. That's where we're out. The pod's honest truth. Don't worry about the TPTHDH1N1. Don't worry about any of that. Just the pod's honest truth with David Brody. Uh, you can subscribe and download. Download. Did I say download? What am I, French? Download. Um, at uh, Apple, iTunes iHeartRadio, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. I'll check with my Gen Z teenager who will tell me all these other places you can get it. And, uh, you know, it's like three syllables and it's an app. And I don't know because, look, it's above my pay grade. And literally, I'm too old to deal with, like, apps that have more than two syllables. So uh, we'll see you next time. 
be safe out there. The coronavirus, it's out there. You really need to be safe. Take precautions, social distancing. Be smart, folks. See you next time.